0: Welcome to this week's Mana House message. We are grateful you are listening with us today. It is our prayer that you will receive a fresh word from God and find encouragement for every season of your journey. Let's listen to this message from Pastor Mark.
1: Wasn't that beautiful? I, uh, <clears throat> I taught her how to sing that song, and <laughs> happy Fourth of July to you guys. <laughs> um, you know, we live, we live in a, um, a beautiful nation. You know, we do have our issues and our problems, but you get a chance to get out to some other parts of the world and you realize how truly blessed we really are. To just even be able to sit here today and to do church and not be prosecuted or persecuted. It's a pretty big deal. Come on, can I hear an amen? Amen. Hey, well, listen, we're going to jump back into a series we started last week. We started a series called Not Today. Come on, say it with me. Come on, not today. And we're looking at these seven significant giants or enemies that Israel faced throughout the Old Testament. And we're, we're applying those specific enemies and kind of the attributes of those enemies, we're, we're comparing them to the giants that you and I face. Because the reality is that those seven same giants are out to destroy you or distract you or to hurt you. And as we look at this particular series, we have to recognize that everybody in this room um, faces trials and challenges. Last week we talked about the Hittites and we talked about fear and anxiety and despair. We realized that that giant is alive and well today. And what we're trying to do in this whole series is to come to grips with the fact that there are enemies that are in our path, but that God gives us everything that we need in order to be victorious. And let me go as far as to say this. No matter who you are, No matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on in your life right now, how dark it might look, how hopeless it might look, we can stand on the promise of God that simply says this, we are more than conquerors. We can do more and do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Jeremiah tells us that His plans for us are good and not evil, that He's got a future for us. And so if we look at those truths and we apply them to our life, we can stand confident today and say, not today. We can say to those things that are confronting our life, not today, not on my watch, not now, not ever, I stand more than a conqueror in Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And so we're looking at these particular giants and trying to figure out, okay, how do we actually, practically, spiritually, just, just take these guys out? And we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is one of those books in the Old Testament. It's filled with all of these thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. And so oftentimes it can be discounted or it gets a bad rap as kind of a book of the lots. It's just kind of like, let's get on to read John or Mark or something else a little bit more life-giving. But if you just stop and you look at this book a little bit closer, you get into the details, what you begin to find out is this, is it's really God's way of showing us how we're supposed to live in an intimate, personal relationship with Him. And yes, there are expectations, but doesn't marriage have them? Doesn't working at a job have them? Doesn't a friendship have those? And so we have all of these defined expectations, and when we can live within the framework of what a relationship is supposed to be, we can then thrive in that relationship. And so that's really what the book of Deuteronomy is about. And in this particular uh portion of Scripture, what we find is that God is taking them through this journey. And as you look at the children of Israel, we go way back and we recognize Genesis 1, that God created them. And as you read the book of Exodus, they're in bondage for 400 years, and finally God gets them out, and it's God who delivers them. Not them. It's God who delivers them. It's God who takes them through the Red Sea. It's God who takes them out into the wilderness and provides supernaturally for them, manna and quail and water from a rock. It's God who takes them over into the promised land to show them this land flowing with milk and honey. But it's also God that says this, there'll be enemies there. It's like, what? Like, really? Like, God, you have all these promises, and you have all these blessings. You say that all of these things are supposed to be mine, and then you put giants in front of them? I mean, does anybody find that a little confusing? It's interesting, when you look at this portion of Scripture, what God is trying to show us is this, is that we were designed for dependence on a good and faithful God. We were designed that way. We live in a world today that thinks that somehow we have to do with just about everything. That, that we can accomplish all that we want to accomplish. We live in a self-centered, narcissistic, self-entitled world today that actually thinks that God is like this add-on. I'm gonna go do my life and maybe I'm gonna squeeze in a little bit to get 75 minutes of church. Or maybe once in a while I'll read my Bible or once in a while I'll pray. Like somehow, some way that God is an option. It's no wonder our world is so messed up. It's no wonder that lives are falling apart and families are falling apart and children are falling away from God and we've got all of these moral challenges and financial tragedies. Is because somewhere along the line, we thought that we could actually do it on our own, but what we realize, if we're really, really honest, is the giants that we face are bigger than us and stronger than us, and we can't do it without Him. So He doesn't allow these enemies in your life to pressure you or to put some kind of unrealistic expectation upon you or because He's a mean God. He doesn't do it so that you can give him a couple attaboys and thank you, you're worthy of our praise. He does it because he loves you. And he knows that if you try to do it on your own, you will self-destruct. You were created for dependence on him. He's the creator where the creation And so we see this portion of Scripture unfolding, and it's a part of this book we were talking about, Deuteronomy, and it's in chapter 7, and he begins to dialogue or begins to express this idea of the fight, the giants that are put before us. And I want to read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, if you have your app, you can open it up. The notes are in there. You can open your Bible. And it starts with this word, when. We could preach a whole sermon on that. Not if. There's not an asterisk. It's not like a, a comma. It's not a contingency. It's a promise that when the Lord God brings you into the land that you're entering, there's a promised land for you. There's a purpose for your life. God is taking you somewhere. God desires you to win. It's a when. It's not an If. So let's just start with this premise of first of all, God has us on a journey. He is faithful to complete it. And when the Lord brings you into means out of something, The land that you're entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you. And he lists the seven that we're talking about in the series. The Hittites, the Girgashites, which we'll talk about today. The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites. should be in there, but it's not. But the seven nations, listen to what he says here. This is God speaking to you. That are more numerous and mightier than you. Why would he say that? He's trying to show us something. You can't beat them on your own. Right. It's no wonder as you read about Goliath being nine feet tall in the natural. Some of his buddies have six toes and have six, six uh, fingers on their hand. I mean, these guys were like beasts. And in the natural, they're so intimidating. They knew that they couldn't conquer them in the natural, that they had to look at something in the spiritual to conquer their natural enemies. So God's saying this, by the way, your challenges that you're facing right now that you actually think that you can overcome, they're too big for you. And so what does it cause us to do? It causes us to say, I can't win, but with him, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me through him. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do it through him. Got three amens on that. That's good. Come on. He says, and when the Lord your God, another when, not if, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you, and it says, and you defeat them. We see here start something beginning to unfold that God has a part. He's got a promise for you. He's going to give you everything that you need, but you got to fight. He's not going to do it for you. You defeat them, and you must devote them to complete destruction. He's kindly just saying this, this. He's saying, Stop sleeping with your enemy. The, the reason why you're having the depression or the struggle or the anxiety in the worry is because you just continue to just be with your enemy. You shall make no covenant with them, and you shall show no mercy to them. And I love what this is telling us. God has a promise for you. God has a plan for your life, but you got to fight. It's in him that you can do all things. There's another scripture that comes to mind when I think about this idea in the Bible, and we see it in Philippians, and Paul talks about this. Paul kind of takes this Old Testament truth and puts it into a New Testament context in Philippians 1.6, and it says this. He says, and I am certain, in other words, you can take this one to the bank, that God who began a good work within you. He will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And we have to see this truth. My confidence, my security, my future, is it, in me? it isn't in me. It never has been, nor it ever will. And the world wants to tell you the complete difference. And so I look at this and I think about, okay, what do we do to conquer our giants? Now, as we jump in this morning to our next giant, the Gergeshite, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about them. In fact, there's only seven verses that talk about the Gergeshites, and we know two things from them. Number one is that they are a tribe in Canaan. So we understand that, that this is a group of people that live in Canaan. And the other parts of the verses talk about this one thought. They're to be utterly destroyed, completely annihilated off the face of the earth. Those are the two things we see, that they exist and we're to kill them. And here's actually, as you, as you dive into the different Bible dictionaries and begin to look at really what this tribe represents, it, it represents this. A Gergeshite is someone who would starts out and gets stuck or returns to what they knew. Think about this. I want you to start applying to your life. Those who were drawn back to what was safe and comfortable. It's kind of like this idea, okay, I have this excitement to go all in with Jesus. I just, I want to do everything. I want to pray and I want to read. And all of a sudden there's all of these ideas that come and Somewhere along the line, a Gergeshite speaks to you. So you don't need to do that. You not need to pray that much. And all of a sudden what happens is we find ourselves finding the safe place, the comfortable place. We sometimes even want to go back because we actually enjoyed what that old life seemed to represent to us. And I just think about that. I mean, it's just like the voice of you, you just wake up. say, so, Okay, I'm, I'm going to commit myself to pray. And you, the alarm goes off and it's just like Gergeshite voice, the first thing. Sleep in. It's okay. It won't make a difference. Come on. How many have heard that voice before? Come on. How many of them have them sitting right next to you? Come on. It's like reading the Bible. Wow. It's just so confusing. I don't know if I'll get anything. It's just, it's a Gergesche. Maybe it's something like this. Maybe it's, you know, I just, man, I just got to get on a diet, you know, and so, but all of a sudden you open up the menu and the nachos are going, eat me, eat me. It's just like, man, I'm going to slam that entire plate down myself. It's a Gergeshite. Or may, maybe it's something like this, is you just, you, you better start exercising, right? And, and all of a sudden, the Gergeshite speaks to you and says this, you are so hot looking anyways, why do you even need to work out at all? I hear that voice a lot. I, I hear that all the time. I mean, it's one of the ones I just can't seem to get rid of, it's just that whole idea of looking hot and I'm glad you're laughing because that's not so true. Here's the thing about it. The Israelites were just the same. Think about this. They lived in bondage for 400 years. God finally delivers them. Opens the Red Sea, sign of water, baptism through the, it's just like they're saved, they're water baptized, they're out in the wilderness, he begins to provide. And somewhere along the line, because they face a giant, because they face a trial, what do they say? We want to go back. It's like, go back to what? Go back to bondage? Go, go back to making bricks? I mean, like, you want that lifestyle? And don't we do the same? We read the word, we come in and we we, we hear the word and we're we we sense the presence of God. It's just like, yes, finally, and then we want to go back. Why? Because somewhere along the line, it's a Gergeshite. You don't need to press in. And here's what I recognize about being a, a Jesus follower. Changing growing and advancing is difficult. Everything that you're asked to do in order to experience the abundant, fruitful life that God has for you, there is an enemy every step of the way. One of these seven will be in your face. And as you think about that, you realize that sometimes it's just easier. And I'll say it this way, that the the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying right where I'm at. Even if it's bad, at least it's familiar. At least it won't require effort. And we just just settle in this space. I'm just going to kind of just enjoy my average, mundane, purposeless existence. I remember listening to two commentators talk about a guy named Walter Payton. Walter Payton was one of the greatest running backs in the NFL. And they're having this conversation about just this, this great man, and it was right after he had passed away. and. And they, one guy says, I can't believe that he ran for 16,726 yards. And the other guy laughs and goes, yeah, you do the math on that one. That's nine and a half miles. And the other guy chuckles and goes, yeah, and think about it. He got knocked down every three steps of the way. I think about that and I just go, wow, it kind of sounds like Christianity. Christianity. See, we want Christianity to be like a love boat when it's really like a battleship. Most of you in this room probably don't remember the TV series, The Love Boat, Happy and New. I mean, it's just like, we just, we we think that success and happiness is this absence of trials. An Eastern mindset says that they honor and glorify the trials because they know it will make them a better person. We don't like that in Western culture. Christianity is simply this you get beat up and you get to go to heaven. Isn't that exciting? Pastor Mark, thank you for blessing us this morning with that thought. That's life. You follow the yellow brick road. There's munchkins and flying monkeys and witches and friends with no brains every step of the way. <laughs> and when you get there, you realize you're a better person because of the journey. So how, how, do, we, how do we do this? How, how do we overcome? How do we conquer a Gergishite spirit in our life? Here's the first thing that we need to do is we need to recognize that we all have issues. I'll just say it as honestly as I can. You have issues. How many came in here with some issues today? Come on, wave at me. If you don't have your hand up, you've got an issue. It's called lying. I mean, we 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 all have issues. In fact, some of you brought your issues with you. She or he sitting next to you say, honey, this is my chance. He says, you got issues. I didn't. He's got issues. We all have issues. Paul said it this way. Even the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he goes, I do things that I don't want to do, and sometimes I don't do the things that I do want to do. He says, I'm a wreck, oh, wretched man that I am. That's what he's saying. I got issues. You know why that's so freeing? Is because it helps all of us realize that everybody in here is normal till you get to know them. you just—we want to come in, and we just—we got on our little, cute little. Sunday morning face and how you doing? Oh, bless brother. Everything's good. Your marriage is falling apart. The cat died. The dog died. The car's got flat tires. I mean, the bank doesn't have any money. I'm good. It's just like, really? Let's just face the fact that you got issues. I got issues. I probably just lost my job by saying that. I've got lots of issues. I used to work with this one guy discipling, and for 18 months we get together every Wednesday morning. We go through these seven deep accountability questions. How's your thought life? And have you, you know, fulfilled the calling of God in your life? And how's your financial integrity? And did you expose any yourself to any explicit material? And I mean, we go through all this one and I'd say, I go up to him and say, Hey buddy, how you doing? And he goes, I'm doing real good, unless you ask me them seven questions, right? And that's kind of like us. I'm doing good as long as you don't really see the real me. See, in order to overcome a Gergeshite spirit, you have to start with this first principle. I got issues and be okay with it. Here's one way to guarantee to make sure that everybody here understands whether they have issues or not. It's called the self-assessment issue test. And it's fairly comprehensive. They've been working on this for literally decades, and they finally came up with a foolproof way to find out. So if you do me a favor, just put up two fingers just like this. Every person, come on. I'm looking at you. If you don't have your finger, thank you. Come on, everyone. Okay, I think I got it. Now you got to turn your fingers kind of like a a U-shape, right? It's like this. Everybody got it? Come on. And then you, you put it right here, and you start feeling around and see right here if there's an indent on your stomach. And if you can feel a belly button right there, you got issues. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Here's what that shows you. If you have a belly button, some of you go, wow, that's amazing, how did he do that? I know, it's just. Your belly button says that you're born a part of a very dysfunctional family. It's called humanity. And if you're born, Into this world, which we all are, you have a sin nature. You're going to constantly have issues. This side of heaven, you're going to have issues. And so one of the first things, and I I hope this is freeing for you, is just coming to this place of realizing, you know what? I'm just like the person on the left and the right, fighting through life, enemies along the way, got some good days, got some bad days, have some victories, have some defeats, I have issues. Come on, would you say that with me? Come on. I have issues. Didn't that feel good? You're probably saying, I'm going to say that every day. I got issues, right? Here's the second thing that we have to do. Step number one is we have issues. Number two is understand that Jesus reconciles. Here's another freeing thought. You don't have to fix you. Now, you have a part in the role, but here's, here's the reality. You can't fix you. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says all of this talking about reconciliation, becoming a new creation. The previous verse says that your old is gone, everything new has begun, you are a new creation. And he says all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. In other words, he did it. And that's so important to understand because somehow we think if we just do another self-improvement seminar, if we just breathe in a brown paper bag, if we beat on our chest just a little bit harder, maybe I can find victory, only to find out you're discouraged and the Gergesite says, you could never do it on your own anyways. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came because he knew You were broken beyond repair. In Luke 19, 10, where it says, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That word lost doesn't mean like you're lost and he can't find you. He's not looking around going, ollie ollie oxen, free, free, free. It's not like hide and seek and he can't find you. When he came to seek and save the lost, what he meant is he came to seek and save those who were beyond repair. You are broken, and you can't fix you. That's what that word loss means. And so what you need to do is you have to recognize that you need to take the brokenness back to the maker to fix it, not yourself. I remember um, getting a bike for one of my sons, Kyle, and I love telling Kyle stories. And for many of you here, yeah, maybe you've not heard of Kyle, but Kyle's one of my um, sons that we adopted. He has de- he's a developmentally disabled Spanish Indian boy. And I love Kyle's stories. They're always so fun. And this, this one day in particular, I wanted to go buy him a bike, and so we went down to Kmapart, to, to apart I mean Walmart, um, whatever it's called. But And so we, were, we went down to go buy a bike, and I said, Kyle, you, you can pick any bike you want. He goes, oh, yeah, Dad. So we go in, and he finds this mountain bike. I mean, it's got like 15 gears and, you know, all the different mechanisms on the handlebars and these big gears and all the bikes. goes, dad, dad, that one. I said, okay, let's get it. So as we're leaving, now I know that Kyle's like really hard on stuff. So I needed before that bike left the store to ask a very, very important question of the sales associate. In the event that something breaks, can I bring it back? She goes, no questions asked. I said, really? Have you met Kyle? I mean, like, you don't understand. I mean, like, he's real hard on stuff. Sir, no questions asked. If it breaks beyond repair, you can bring it back for a full refund. Awesome. Take the bike home. It wasn't a matter of about a week before this thing was utterly annihilated. I mean, the handlebars are bent and half this way and that way and the tires, all the rims are bent from whatever he was hitting and all the gears were broken off and the handles broken off. It's like And so I told my wife, I says, we're taking this bike back, it's broke. She goes, you can't do that. I said, she said no questions asked. My wife says, I'm staying home. I said, okay, you stay home. So I said, Kyle, let's go. So Kyle and I go down to to Walmart, man. We roll that bike in, and this is a plug for Walmart. You owe me something here, because they are a no-questions-asked store. I pulled in, the lady goes, wow, what happened to that? I said, Kyle. I said, you know, I was told that no-questions-asked, we could get a new bike. She goes, that's exactly right. Just put it over here, sir. I go, wow. So we go in, and I'm thinking, I'm not doing any bike with gears or anything. So I find this beach cruiser, you know, big old banana seat, says, Kyle, you're gonna get that. No, dad, this, I said, no, you're getting this bike. So we take it home. It's just like two weeks, he can't destroy it. I mean, every time I come home, I'm looking in the garage and it's parked there. I'm going, yes, yes, man, beach cruiser's gonna live. And then I get home one day, it was a, I remember late on a Tuesday, he goes, dad, dad, come here. says, "Why?" He goes, dad, bike broke. I says, really? He goes, yeah, dad, broke. New bike, dad, new bike, dad. He said, well, come let me see it. So we go out in the garage. He had pulled out a hacksaw, and he had cut the entire bike into about six-inch parts. And there's just this pile of parts. And I'm just thinking, wow, I'm thinking, you know, like, Kyle ain't going to fix that. I can't fix that. Walmart can't fix it. And I don't even think Jesus could fix that bike. I mean, it's just like, I didn't, by the way, just because I'm a good pastor, I didn't try to take that one back for a refund. But here's my point. You're like that bike, broken beyond repair. We keep trying to fix it, when we gotta take it back to the maker. We gotta take it back to someone beyond us to fix it. I hope that this, these simple thoughts just like transform your thinking, just to saying, okay, I've got issues, I can't fix them, so I've got to go to Him to have Him help me to fix them. And then the third thing is just simply this, is we need to follow God's plan for growth. Jesus tells a story. I want to just fast forward into the New Testament. He tells the story. He's in this place of telling lots of stories to these different Pharisees in this crowd, and He comes upon this one story, And he's wanting them to understand, how do you fix yourself that's broken beyond repair? And it says this in Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. It says, and he told the parable. He says, there was a man, which he's speaking of God, had a fig tree, which is you, planted in a vineyard, which is the kingdom. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. So God comes, he wants our life to be filled with fruit, right? And he said to the vine dresser, which is Jesus in the story, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered, meaning Jesus says, Sir, let it alone this year. And you talk about grace. Until I dig around it and put on manure, then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And as you look at this particular story, we, we realize, listen, God wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to, as we say and belong all the time, discover your purpose and make a difference. There's excellence and greatness in you. You were not designed to live with the Gergeshites. There's also another principle in this story that we see is God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to allow you to stay that way. So he puts wonderful enemies in your path that cause you to turn to him to depend on him. And so as we look at this thing, we've got to just ask ourselves really the the biggest question of all. What's my tree look like? If I'm a fruit tree, what kind of fruit is on my tree? Good fruit, bad fruit, carnal fruit, self-centered fruit. God looks down upon it. Oftentimes, if it's bad fruit, it's because we're living too much for ourselves. And so God puts an enemy to show you that that's not going to help you. And you find yourself finally going, ah, God, I need you. He goes, glad you got it. Let's go ahead and help you to conquer that, that giant. And so in this story, you see just three simple things. And I just want to mention them quickly. Number one is this, is that we need Truth. And what you're going to see are these three things. Truth plus grace plus time equals a fruitful life. I'll say it again. Truth plus grace plus time equals a fruitful life. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to say. In Luke 13, 8, it says this, And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it. And we understand what this principle means in the natural is if there's something uh, that needs to have moisture or nutrients around its roots, you've got to break up the hardened soil so that the water can penetrate or the nutrients can go in. And Jesus is saying, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to break up the hard packed soil of your life and let the truth of God, let the word of God begin to give proper nu- nutrients to your roots. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And it's just so important to understand. He's saying, listen, there is no better solution to fixing your challenges or facing your giants than the Word of God, period. Thank you. Thank you. When we try to do it different, God just simply says, let me know how it works out for you. Just let me know how it works out for you. Everything that you need to live an abundant life is found in His Word. Ingest it, pray it, memorize it, get it into your spirit, because it's the very first thing that you need. We listen too often to all the noise around us. We listen to the news. We listen to social media, to our friends, to entertainment, to movies, and it's no wonder we think so funny today on so many things is because we get about that much word and about that much world. And we need to get that much word and that much world. So we've got to say, God, help me right now. I need truth. He goes on and he takes it one step further. He says, not only do you need truth, but you need my grace because you have issues. And I, I love what, what this represents as you look at 13.8 of Luke. It says, and he put on manure. I mean, that's kind of interesting, but newer manure represents nutrients that you need that you don't have yourself. And they bring strength and they bring fertilization to the root system. When you hear the truth and you don't have grace, it becomes legalism. And you feel really bad because when you fail, you feel like there's no chance for me. So Jesus is trying to say this, hey, listen, Let my grace just be upon them. They're going to mess up. They're like, they're humans. So he comes to bring us this truth. He comes to bring us grace. Grace simply means this unmerited favor. You could actually put the word God's in front of it. God's unmerited favor, which simply means this, is that I'm broken beyond repair. I can't fix myself. Someone else has to step into my life. I'm going to continue to mess up, but he's going to love me anyways. How many are thankful that we serve a God like that? Come on. And he finishes it with this one thought. So we got truth. We've got grace. And then he brings up this thought, time. And he says, then if it should bear fruit next year, I mean, you start thinking about that. Next year, what, what, did, what was Jesus trying to say? He's saying, in order to fix you, it's just going to take a lot of time because you got issues. We want it today, right? I mean, God, change me today, change my marriage today, change my finances today, change my thought life today, change. They said, listen, it's going to take time. I think about, for instance, marriage. You know, I've been married now almost 40 years. It's taken time. That long to speak to my wife. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. She's the grace and truth. I'm the time person. It's just, I might not be a very smart man, but I know what love is, right? I mean, it's just like, I just know that it's taken time. And you know what? We're still working it out. I've been a Christian for 38 years. It's just taking time. I got issues like you. It's just like, I, I haven't got to where I'm at today simply because of something in me. It was something in Him that I believed in in my relationship and every morning in prayer and seeking God, it's taken time. And that's okay. It's one of the greatest combatants to a Gergeshite spirit. Because you say, I'll never be like that. You will in time. I can never accomplish that. You will in time. I'll never be able to overcome that. You will in time. If you put truth and you put grace and you put time, you can overcome your Gergeshite. What would it look like if you and I today decided to confront the Gergeshite voices in our life? Complacency, apathy, defeat, discouragement, complacency. What is it that, that rattles in your ear that stops you? from stepping forward. What would it look like if we said, not today, not on my watch, I'm no longer going to succumb to the voices of a Gergeshite spirit in my life. God, you have a plan for me. You've got a purpose for me. I can do great things in you. I'm not average, I'm not insignificant. You've got a purpose for my life. I'm gonna do great things for God and I choose to move forward and I no longer allow the enemy to speak into my life and I say, not today, not here, not now. What would that look like? So I'm gonna ask you to do something here, and I don't know if we've done this here before. I want your eyes open, I want your heads up, and I want you to think about that one thing. What's that area? And today you're going to break through in that. And if you can see that, and you're believing God to touch, I want you to do this. I want you to stand up immediately, right now, wherever you're at, and I want you to shout, not today. You stand right now and say, not today. Come on, not today. Come on, not today. Say it. Not today. Not today. Come on, shout it. Not today. Not today. Not today. Not here online. Stand up at Starbucks. Not today. They'll think you're crazy. Come on. Not today. Not today. today. I'm no longer going to be complacent. I'm no longer going to go back. He who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. Your mercies are new every morning, and I'm going to believe God for great things in my life. Can I hear an amen? Come on, not today. Not today, not today, not today. Lord, I just take this opportunity. Lord, as we stand today in your presence, Lord, we believe this word to be the truth for our lives. Lord, we no longer allow these lying spirits to have any impact in our life. And today we say, not today, not today, to this Gergeshite spirit. Come on, give Jesus one more shout. Come on, amen. Amen. amen.
0: Thank you for listening to another Manahouse House message. Our hope is that you find fresh bread for your journey each time you join us here. Until next time.